Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our third episode of the Leadership Trademark Podcast. In today's episode, we feature Dr. John Flannery at the University of Health Network in Toronto. In this episode, Dr. Flannery talks about how his focus on patient care helps him to be a better leader, role model, and mentor, because that is the goal that unifies them all. In his approach is to focus on success, on the outcomes, for the ultimate user and that everyone shares the same goal, and this determines our true measures of success as a team. Dr. Flannery also shares the tools he uses every day, such as strengths-based leadership and the logical levels. Enjoy! Hello, everyone, and welcome to our third episode of the Leadership Trademark Podcast. There's no license to lead. The role of a leader is to create the container that provides trust, hope, stability, and compassion. Today's discussion is on bottom-up leadership with Dr. John Flannery of the University Health Network in Toronto. Welcome, John. Thank you very much, Sylvia. So happy to have you here. And of course, today we have Roz and Leslie as our executive coaches. A little bit about John. Dr. John Flannery has been a specialist in physical medicine and rehabilitation and physician leader for almost 30 years. His area of clinical specialty has included the entire gamut of all of the physical rehab domains, including amputee, burn, electrodiagnosis medicine, as well as all of the neurologic rehabilitation field. He was residency program director at UFT for over 10 years, as well as the lead for the specialty committee at the Royal College for four of these years. In 2013, he was selected by peers and administrators in the GTA as one of the 30 top Toronto docs and profiled in Toronto Life magazine the first and only time in Toronto Life Magazine history for his compassionate care and leadership in rehab. Currently in his leadership, um, his role is in the RPS program at the University Health Network. And his main focus, uh, area of focus include educational system level endeavors. So happy to have you here, Dr. Flannery. And so, yes, yes, so so glad to have you here. And Leslie, I think we can start our discussion on bottom-up leadership. Thank you, and welcome, Dr. Flannery. One of the things that is probably not obvious to all of us as we go through any kind of a health system network is that there are actually doctors who are leading teams of other doctors. So we're really happy to have your perspective in that environment on this topic. I know that you are a proponent of bottom-up leadership, and so we'd like to hear how would you describe bottom-up leadership, and how does it affect things like uh, creativity, new ideas, and transformation in your organization? Uh, thanks, Leslie. Um, so that term, bottom-up leadership, I never really heard of, to be honest with you, but the, the important thing is, that, and what brings to mind is a, a number of different things. Um, to me, I think one of the important things as a physician is that I, I work in the trenches. Um, direct patient care is something that I do all virtually every day. 
Um, and that's how a lot of physicians are trained and a lot of healthcare providers are trained. But when you're, you know, asked or tasked to lead, uh, you know, how, how you're going to make some change, how are you going to improve the care for your patients, for the system, for the therapist or the team that you're working towards, that, that involves some extra amount of, of understanding. And so part of my training along the way has always been to continue to learn uh, as a lifelong learner. And so I, you know, participated in some courses when I first took over the role as a medical director. Um, and in that, I started to realize that there's so much more that you've sort of uh, discussed. And so that direct patient care component is me with patients. But I've got a team, either an administrative assistant or some other clerical staff that's booking that patient to that clinic. And then I've got therapy and the relationships that I have to work with them. So now it starts to get much more complicated and you have to sort of manage each and every one. When you then take on running a program that might have an inpatient unit, has an outpatient unit that's going to interact with other programs within that city or that region that you're looking after, it starts to get very complicated. And so understanding that that initial patient care component should never be lost, has to be maintained, but it's growing and much larger than that. So by having that grassroots, that trenches kind of component of, of base activity that I do every day, I never lose sight that the most important person in this whole equation is the patient. And everything that we do has to be to supporting that patient, their family, in the, in the environment that they live. So that becomes one of the core components that we never forget as we move up that management strategy or scaffolding to what we're trying to do, building everybody and making sure that that vision is clear. Um, so to me, that's been the, the critical components is making sure that we know where we're at, who this is for, our purpose and then making sure that we never lose sight of that amongst uh, all of our journey for, the, for that group uh, or that individual. Because we see one patient and the next day I see another patient or the next hour I see another patient. So it never really stops. And so we have to have systems that support the outcomes of better health care and a better, a very healthy, you know, supportive work environment for the people that's delivering that care. So to me, that's how bottom up always works. It starts right at the grass grassroots level. What um what do you think? We hear a lot of stories. It does. It seems like a lot of people are feeling a lot of uncertainty and complexity in the workforce today. In fact, our last topic was um, about what does the future look like. Um, what do you, in your opinion, what do you think, uh, how does a leader move towards the future state in this complex and uncertain environment today? Again, another really um, interesting question. Uh, and I loved your last podcast, by the way, I had a chance to listen to Sarah and she was excellent. Uh, and a lot of those um, leadership qualities that she described, I think, are core and front and center to, to what you know, that question you're just looking at. Um, if there's ever been an adverse time, the last few years have been exactly that. We had to, in healthcare, change every single component of how we manage things. Um, we had to virtually, um, you know, overnight go into a virtual care model. Uh, we couldn't see patients. 
the good fortune that we had in rehabilitation is that we still maintained a fair amount of care to be provided. So we were given a breather that we we still had the ability to see certain patients because the complexity of their care would have just fallen apart had we not been able to um, maintain that relationship and keep them from the need to access care. But that adversity was was huge and threw a gigantic wrench in everything that we do. Um, and so people had to now go on to virtual care. We had to uh, you know, pick up a phone and have a conversation that we're trying to suss out whether someone's stable, comfortable, able to manage things or not. The same went on with our entire team. We, we, we wore masks. We didn't have a chance to sort of get that nonverbal uh, communication, which is critical to, to leadership and to sponsorship that, that we needed to make sure that all of our uh, you know, employees were safe. And that goes from right down to the custodians who are having to clean the rooms uh, up to you know, management staff that's trying to uh, shepherd and herd all of our uh, different team members uh, through some really difficult times that so you could sense in people's voices their concern about bringing this virus home to their loved ones um, by having to come to work or do work um, and, and bring in sick patients that we had to look after who might be infected or were just recovering from infection. So there was a lot of distress in that period. Um, but it's the same stress that we've been under for quite some time. It just got very accentuated. So that ability to be flexible, to adapt uh, in adversity was front and center. We're still in it, to be honest with you, because a lot of the workforce change um, has, has shown us that we need to continue to be adaptable. Um, patients don't want to come and see us if they can do an awful lot of their care from home. The ministry right now is is supporting that aspect, but they have a lot of reservations for us just doing telephone care. They want us to see the patients. And I get it because you do need to see the patients. But at the same time, why should someone have to travel, wait to see me, and then be delayed, pay a lot of money for parking? You know, that inconvenience when, to be honest with you, I just need a conversation of the care. I don't, I may not need to re-examine them because I've already examined them once before. And now it's around how am I going to structure that care? So for us to lead and, and demonstrate that this is a very effective means to continue to manage with, with virtual care, which is now probably here to stay in Ontario and in Canada, this is a new model that we can actually be quite flexible and really provide better care because people don't have to wait to see us for that that sort of standard method that we just we had for so long. So on a on a patient direct care level it's changed but also for how we provide care for them. So we do an awful lot of our care now virtually in groups um you know around my you know subspecialty area now is chronic pain so you can imagine trying to help someone move forward with chronic pain as being very, um, you know, complex and, and dynamic, we can do that by more high touch, high contact uh, with a virtual, it's just seeing their face and seeing how they're functioning and still using our forms, you know, that assess their, their quality of health um, can really be helpful for them, I, I feel. And, and so that adversity has been front and center for us, Leslie. I have a burning platform question. Um, 
what's your view on the importance for leaders um, to understand and develop or pay attention to flexibility in their own style? So not so much about what you know or what you do, but more about how you connect, how you engage, what 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 goes on there, particularly when uh, you are moving into this uh, virtual work, so you're you're not seeing their face. Uh, so the summary of this is. Um, is it important for leaders to develop flexibility in their own style? I think so. Uh, I think, you know, over my career, I've, I've probably morphed and changed an awful lot in, in the approach to this. Um, a project that we started uh, back in 2014 was actually using this platform, Zoom, back at that point in time. So educating individuals across all of Ontario was what we were trying to do. Nurse case uh, managers, nurse practitioners, family doctors around the management of chronic pain. And so we had Zoom as our as our platform um, and it allowed us to, to see people, but hearing their voice is, is an also a, a critical aspect. So using all your senses to make sure that you understand it, um, the telephone uh, is a great tool. You just have to really listen to the tone and ensure that safety is being established, whether it be on patient care or the therapy team that's that's supporting this individual. And you can you can hear that. You can see it. Uh, it's so much easier when you're in the same room. So our our original model was that we had ten therapists and team members around the table. But all of our individuals were these little squares that we're presently doing right now and everybody's familiar with, whether it be WebEx or Zoom or whichever platform, we got to see them and we actually asked them repeatedly to sort of make sure that we can see your face, turn on your camera, so we get some extra information. But even when we didn't have that, you could see and sense people that were unsafe. And that's the component that's there. You have to be listening for safety all the time. If people are not safe, you're not going to be able to move them forward. So a critical element is the safety, because then they're going to tell you the real issues. And if they start to tell you the real issues, then you can create real solutions. Because otherwise, you're, you're, just, you're just, you know, pushing paper, you're moving stuff around, you're not getting at the fundamentals, which is really down in those trenches, understanding the, the bottom-up approach so that you can really create something that's fundamental, solid for them to make change. Because, and I often say this to my patients or to the team, I don't have to make the change. The patient has to make the change or the therapist has to make the change or the administrator has to make the change or influence the other clerical staff to make the change. So we all have to work together for a common purpose and a common goal. And so that's really what we have to do. So it's it's really wanting to engage them, to want to motivate them to make the change because hopefully they want to see a better day and, and not have frustrations uh, and and other things disrupt their care and their and their life. So really it's so, so John, what would be one, two, or three things that a leader 
needs to develop in terms of their own flexibility as they lead? Well, I think uh, this goes back to some of the, I think the training that you and I have undergone over the last decade. I loved logic levels because for that, it was the purpose at the highest level. For whom, for who, uh, understanding myself. So really exploration of understanding what motivates me, what makes me, and then that ability to understand that there's probably someone across the table that's got equal and very important um, motivation and understanding and identity that's critical. And then with that, what are the values and beliefs? So when you stay at that high level approach, it makes it so much easier to make sure that we've got our vision established. Then going down to the lower three levels is much easier. Capabilities, we can teach you. Right, the environment we can create, the behaviors we can set up in engagement and trust to sort of make sure that we have those lower three levels always looked after. But we do have to know where we're going towards and what is our purpose on that journey. So to me, those are the the components, and all that is flexibility because you've got to be able to adjust to each and every team that you're working on or each and every problem that you're encountering. And so that to me makes sense. And, and when I learned some of those, they became the fundamental components that I use whenever I'm put into a new difficult situation, like a pandemic or like resources that have been cut by a government because there isn't as much money available. And so we got to make do with less. So with that framework, John, how important is the skill of listening? Huge. Um, if you don't have uh, good good ears, and and ears are important, uh, but then you've got to you got to feed it back to make sure that what you think you heard was actually what they're thinking, because you you still don't know. And so that paraphrasing and that feeding back component to make sure that the conversation is what you think it is is another critical step. So, and, and egging, you know, leading them on, tentatively asking, sort of um, uh, making sure that they're going to take that chance to be more honest, to be more real, so that you can um, ensure that you've, you've really got the, their fundamental beliefs out on the table. Otherwise, you can't address them. They're just, they're pushed aside. They're, they're, they're there and they, they agree and nod but their actions aren't going to, um, you know, be that of following because they need to follow the direction that you're leading them on. It's really interesting, John, when you were talking about the, you know, the move to the virtual uh, environment during the pandemic and then kind of using a hybrid approach now that we're post-pandemic, but not giving up the virtual world. And we see this a lot in the... Uh, in the private sector as well. In fact, I was talking to a colleague and friend not too long ago, and she was interviewing people for new positions in her organization. And they're so used to working in the virtual world now that they don't even want to come back into the office. And so her approach was that, well, you know, we'd like you to come in one day a week. And this person was so adamant that they weren't going to come in one day a week, they asked, if there were, if they would pay for the Uber to get them into the office. <laughs> and she just about threw a fit. And I thought, oh, you guys are so far apart on such a simple issue. <laughs> 
absolutely. We're, we're uh, exposed to all kinds of new models that we have to really explore and understand. Uh, if you want someone engaged, something as simple as making sure that they're in the office, um, and it might mean you need to be creative around how that's going to look. Um, but so the, uh, is there a specific uh, question you had, Leslie, around that? No, it was just sort of the, the flexibility to move in and out of all of those new, new arrangements. Like it was necessary during the pandemic, and now we need almost like a new model to sort of blend the best of what we learned during the pandemic and going forward. Yeah, so I just walked over from my hospital to one of our affiliated hospitals, the Toronto General Hospital. So I happen to, you know, have the ability that I can walk over. During that time, I bumped into two physicians that I have not seen for probably four years. Um, and that connection, that relationship uh, is something that we've really lost. Um, and it's and it's too bad um, because I think that's, part of what allowed us to to stay human to to stay connected uh, and it was it was quite rewarding just by chance that I bumped into two individuals um, and uh, and it it made me feel so much more comfortable uh, with this you know as luck would happen uh, I sent a referral to one of those uh, physicians earlier this week and he you know how do you, how does that happen that's just you know uh, uh, the universe uh, helping us along, but and we need a little bit more of that. To be honest with you, I think that loss of connection um, has really um, shaken us to the to the core, and we we need to reconnect. So encouraging people to maybe look at uh, you know the other aspect of, of the model. Yes, it's convenient to be from home, but it is lonely, and you do need to have that support because the engagement is critical. Um, and small little things help with engagement uh, that you, you just can't believe. So I, I think we do have to have hybrids for sure to make sure that we um, we don't lose some other really key components of connectivity and engagement that, that come with just seeing uh, faces um, and people. And John, I just wanted to, to go back and I, I have a question about what how do you support your teams in this you know it seems to me uh, there is a mindset set shift towards doing things differently um there's different approaches to things and you have a very specific um approach to how you're looking at this and which is why we want to talk to you about the bottom up leadership my question is about what are those key uh tools and techniques that you use with your team to to support them, to get them on the same vision, to get them into, you mentioned the logical levels, which by the way is one of my favorite tools that I've used that I can relate to as well. Um, but is there more that you're providing uh, to, to your staff and to your teams to get them on the same page or on that vision? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a myriad of different assessment tools that you can use and they often, our degrees of self-establishment, what you're really looking at is, is that reflective quality. So you're trying to encourage patients to, or individuals um, to always look at it. And I keep slipping between patient care because my patient care resembles so much of my team care. Uh, I can't move 
patients forward in their care, um, and I can't move teams forward in, in their delivery of that care, uh, they're, they're virtually identical. So if I don't have engagement, I can't move them forward. So that's critical to me. So um, other tools that I found very helpful over the years, and you know, part of this is through the, the coaching that I've had. So Roz is part of that, but I, I took some other coach, you know, courses and, and I'm a you know, lifelong learner. I graduated from my program and you know, was about to undertake a master's in healthcare uh, administration and education that got thwarted because of you know the way that the the system was at that point in time so i ended up doing it when i uh, landed in my first administrative role and i worked with the university of toronto through a physician leadership which gave me some good courses i then later on took some more educational courses with the master teacher program which again gave me different skills on how to teach because part of this is ongoing um, teaching that i have to to do at the bedside or in rounds or in leadership, it's it's really a degree of teaching. So lifelong learning is a critical aspect. Uh, I just finished another uh, um, competency-based training, uh, you know, component of, of learning. So it just never stops. So making sure that that engagement piece is critical. So first, second, third position is another uh, tool that I've often learned because it makes me reflect on what I'm thinking makes me reflect on the person opposite me. And then I take a step up and I look at this uh, from, from that you know, higher level to make sure that this dynamic is safe. So that's another tool that I've found over time to really be helpful for me to make sure that that safety is being uh, achieved and the engagement. So you know, logic levels, first, second, third position is, is another uh, aspect. Um, and then understanding myself with uh, strength finders was another tool that I used to really make sure that I understood how it is that I approach this each and every time I go to a to an event, to a meeting, to a one to one. And understanding that makes me uh, know where my strengths are and then where I need to adapt uh, and build other strengths with people on my team. So uh, Roz has often joked with me that I don't have an execution model or bone in my body because I'm, it's not one of my strengths, but I'm really good at getting you know, people engaged because I do well with the relationships. Uh, I get you know, some good strategic areas uh, and, and I'm also really quite you know, strong at, at the influence in the ability to get people motivated. So knowing that stuff, I just have to make sure that I have someone with really good execution skills as part of my team to make sure right that, actually, that actually works on. So that learning was really helpful for me to make sure that I can bring it to each and every meeting and each and every opportunity that I'm going to work in a team setting uh, with moving, you know, patient care or health uh, system delivery in a more effective fashion. So, John, uh, to add a little levity to this, you're making me smile. But uh, I'm often asked the question by new clients that I take on. And, for example, they say, I don't like my job. I want to do another job. I say, okay, well, what do you have in mind? Well, I'd like to be a ballet dancer. I said, I see. And, and what is it you're doing now? Well, I'm a pig farmer. 
And I say, well, I don't think I can teach you to be a ballet dancer, but I bet you I can teach those, teach you to teach those pigs to dance. Absolutely. It's about transformational aspects. Yeah. Um, and I would have to say I'm more of a transformational leader than I am a transactional leader. Well, uh, you, yes, you are. But it's a, but when you bring in that passion, and I loved your your last uh, podcast where you, you talked about uh, the trust, the hope, the stability, and compassion. Uh, those are things that I think... Um, Healthcare providers need to for sure have all of those qualities, but every leader just has to have that. Otherwise, uh, it's inauthentic. And if you're not authentic, people see through that so quickly. Um, so it's important that that you're committed to those aspects personally so that people can see that and follow. Um, and so because it, it's uh, I, I think I've, we've talked before, Roz, where, where I don't have an awful lot of power over individuals, but I might have some influence um, to make them want to, to go in a direction that, that can be right. helpful for them or more helpful for the people that they're uh, working with. And it's interesting you use that word because um, when somebody is influenced by an existential comment or experience or whatever, um, it then becomes their choice. So they are immediately more committed, more involved, more open, more willing to ask questions. And then of course, for the leader, that reduces your workload of having to try to pick and poke at them to get at the bottom of the rabbit hole. Because if they don't trust you enough to tell you that, well, you really can't help them, can you? You know? And, and when it comes to work, if, if they're not going to trust you to ask the questions or answer your questions, then what happens for you is that you lose hope and trust. And then their careers can be stalled, can be ended, can be put at risk. And what a whole lot of waste of time and money and energy and upset that is. Absolutely. I agree. I know you do. Well, this was wonderful, John. I'm so happy you brought up so many tools that I know I've learned. And I was like, you just made me smile. I was like, oh, the logical levels, the Springs Finder. <laughs> and so, so John was. <laughs> and I put them, uh, so Sylvia, I actually put them up in my office. Yeah. So that I can remind myself because it gets busy. Yeah. And when you're under stress, you don't yeah. the the not so good you shows up an awful lot more than the good you. So having those reminders is not a bad thing to do uh to and so that it actually gets into your bones and it becomes part of you. Uh so uh, yeah. I find that a, a a really helpful component is to put those reminders uh, around me to, to make sure that I uh, can utilize them in, in stressful situations as well to um, to de-escalate and make sure that we're, we're always creating safety. No, for sure. I, I, know, John, I, walk I know around that with... you're a great leader, but you're also a fantastic doctor. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for being willing to to come on in on this with us. My pleasure.
It's been Thank a you. long, fun journey working uh, with you, Roz, and, and the concepts that, that this whole uh, podcast brings. Thank you so much, John. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. So thank you for listening to our third episode. Such an inspiring conversation with Dr. Flannery. So now a little preview for our next episode. We will be stepping into leadership. Um, will be a, a captivating episode that will delve into the inspiring story of Veronica Ahrens. She's the author of the book, Teams Are Not Born Excellent, They Become Excellent. So exciting. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.